Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Holiday Leftovers Part 5, Humility, recorded Sunday, December 3rd, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Josh with today's message. Well, good morning, Third City. We are about 10 days removed from Thanksgiving. And uh, as I think about that number of days, um, you may have an item in your fridge that you're going to discover this afternoon. (laughs) That's right. It's going to be wrapped in aluminum foil. It will not be labeled. And you're going to open it. And there's it. I I love this because whenever you hear this phrase, you know someone's trying to start a fight. There's two types of people in this world. One type will open that foil, will look at it, will use what I would say is probably good common sense. They will close the foil and find the trash can. That person will live to fight another day. (laughs) The other person, which I'm ashamed to say I probably fall in this category, will open it, smell it, (laughs) make a guess at what it is, and then use the logic that if I put that in the microwave for long enough, there won't be anything in there that's going to kill me. <laughs> Every healthcare provider in the room just cringed and said, oh my goodness, he's going to kill someone today. This, uh, <laughs> this literally happened, uh, I believe it was Friday night. My wife made mention that there was a dip that was still in the fridge in a small container from Thanksgiving. It had seafood, cream cheese, Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, they're really gross. Mustard, ketchup. Garlic powder, onion powder, salt, and yes, I ate the rest of what that was eight days after Thanksgiving, and I probably shouldn't have. Uh, We are in this holiday leftovers series, and the idea behind this series is that God would hope that you would leave love behind in all of the places that you find yourself. Like all of the relationships, all the interactions that you would leave over, leave behind love. And as I was thinking about that, and as you're thinking about that, uh, many theologians have stated that love is the natural outgrowth of a relationship with our Savior. Like if, if, if we're in a saving relationship with Jesus, love should just naturally spring out. It should just naturally blossom. It should naturally be present if we're in that saving relationship with Jesus. And if that wasn't enough to convince you why we should be looking at love, 1 John chapter 4 is, is another place of one of my favorite sections of Scripture. 1 John in itself is full of challenging content. If you're ever wanting to go, I, you know, with New Year's coming, if you want to challenge yourself, Read and journal and respond to 1 John. That will give you enough to work on for the year. Uh, But 1 John chapter 4 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This whole statement that to know God, to love is to know God, and to know God is to love, that should be enough that we would pay attention to what we're leaving behind and that we would want what we leave behind in all of our interactions, regardless of it being holiday season. Like this should happen during uh, that, that holiday-less month of August. You should leave behind love uh, in all of your interactions. And if, uh, so as we look at that, we look in, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the writer of this letter to this church uh, was a little bit poetic at times, and I love how he presents what love is. And this gets used in weddings a lot, uh, but what I love about it is he gives you some of the things that you want love to be and some of the things that you don't want love to be. So as we're looking at holiday leftovers, we should go, this is going to be a list of things that we want to leave behind and things we don't. So like when people come to your house for Thanksgiving, you're like, please leave the pumpkin pie. Please take your weird salad. Please, please leave that stuffing because if it gets dried out, I can just put some water on it. Your dry turkey, go ahead and take that with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anything with seafood, fish at Thanksgiving? Yes, thank you. That can go. You know, so, uh, so when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want you to hear it that way. There's going to be things that the writer says, we want this and other things that we don't want. Because love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So today as we're looking at that fourth piece, or excuse me, that third piece of this verse, and what love is patient, love is kind, I get this topic of it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And so the idea of not being proud or talking about humility, the irony of standing on a stage while you look at me and I'm going to talk to you about humility, the irony is, is thick. But it's the right place to talk about this because Envy and pride, what that can do and what that has done to the world around us is incredible. Uh, I, I believe it to be the source of all of the hurt that we deal with in relation to humanity. I believe that envy, jealousy, and pride are the original source. The same writer, uh, Paul, wrote another letter to his friend James and this is what he had to say about pride, envy, and humility. I want you to listen for those three words in James chapter 3. He said this. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such Wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, 
of the devil. Like he was talking, I just, that just, I sound like Waterboy's mom when I said that. But it's true. It is true. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, that does not come from heaven. It is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. And then he makes this, this statement, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. To use, to use the phraseology from uh, Rooted, you're going to find depravity wherever there is envy and jealousy and pride. You will find deep depravity, broken relationships, chaos, creation in the way that God did not intend it to exist. And, and there's no better illustration of this than the Garden of Eden. I look back at Adam and Eve, I love being able to find original traces of where did all of this get out of sorts. You have Adam and Eve that are existing in perfect relationship with God. There is perfect harmony, peace, glorious relationship between God creator and creation mankind. All of creation is just clicking the way God intended. Then the deceiver comes in and, and starts to lie. We give him the name Satan. He starts to lie to mankind. He says, look, no, 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 you don't understand. If you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're not going to die. You'll become like God. That was the, the original temptation. And when I think about that, envy and pride. Somewhere in the midst of that, Mankind was envious of God's role, wasn't satisfied with their role, became jealous of that role. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'll, I'll be like him. Oh, okay. And then the pride of going, I want to be like that. And they stepped into it and then here we are. Humanity existing under the curse of that sin. And it's not just them because I look at our everyday lives, because like when I talk about Adam and Eve in the garden, it's very important because that's the source of our original sin. It's the source of all the struggles that we have as humans. But where do we see them existing in our day-to-day -day lives? Like, think about that. How about at work? I don't think we should be doing, these are examples, I don't think we should be doing things that way. Can't they, seem to, can't they see things the way that I think they should be seen? I made a plan for that, so we should be doing it the way that I have laid out. Anywhere, the, the biggest hint in the midst of this is when you start to hear the word I. Did they not see how hard I was working? Why did they get recognized? They didn't see what I'm doing. Why wasn't I chosen for that? Are, are you going to take any time to give me any recognition? Any time that you hear those pronouns, alarm should go off. Pride and envy are present. The depravity that comes from the original sin in the Garden of Eden affects our day-to-day -day lives, our work. What about your homes? Like, think specific, we'll just use the holidays for example. Anytime you have a parent that goes... When they come into my house, I don't like what they're doing. Why do they treat my sibling better than me? Why am I not getting more attention than them? 
Can you see how this plays out in the home? And it, because all of this, like it seems very shallow, but we all know this to be true, that it creates these divisions in relationships, right? Which is the third area that we see this depravity. We see this depravity in our day-to-day relationships, our friendships, your marriages, relationships with people. The, the minute that we, with envy and pride, we stop looking at how we love and serve the other person, that is the minute that that relationship starts to disintegrate. I'm not getting what I need anymore. I'm out. The minute that you're jealous of your friend and what they have, or maybe you're, you're jealous that, that they're spending time somewhere else instead of time with you, all of a sudden you see depravity, you see broken relationship existing. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden, and that's what happened with our sin. It created this depravity, this separation between us and God, and it's deep, and it's deeply spiritual, and its roots are from the lies of the enemy that we think we are the center. Pride and envy is the problem. And if pride and envy is the problem, our solution is humility. And I will tell you, it sounds so simple. You can look up all kinds of definitions of humility. Uh, writers, I, one of the more popular ones is humility isn't thinking less about yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. That's kind of one of those catchy ones. One of the first places I go when I'm trying to explain a concept is uh, this complicated place called Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. And uh, it's always the first place that I go, and I will tell you that I loved what I saw. Sometimes, sometimes they nail it, and they don't realize how spiritual they're being. Merriam-Webster, definition of humility, the freedom from pride and arrogance. And I love the idea that they use the word freedom. Because when you use the word freedom, it means that if, if, you're, if you're not humble, you're in bondage. There is something there that is holding you back, that is limiting life, and the freedom from pride and arrogance. I love it. C.S. Lewis stated it this way. Now, you have to forgive me. I was going to try to do an English accent. I'm not near as swanky as many of the other communicators. I, I was worried that if I would start Old English, I would end up Australian, <laughs> and it would just confuse everybody. So just bear with me. There's some really good terms here that you're going to hear C.S. Lewis's uh, English roots coming out. He was trying to describe humility when you see it. He said, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. Now, remember, he's an old writer, so nowadays it was like a long time, lifetime ago. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy, I don't even know what smarmy means. Uh, you Google that, send me an email, uh, who is always telling that, of course, he is nobody. That's not what humble will look like. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap. I wish I could have done an English accent on that one. Intelligent chap um, who took a real interest 
in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Think about that concept a little bit. The idea of going through life not necessarily thinking about self. The same writer, Paul, wrote a letter to this church in Philippi. And I love this as a Christmas verse. I love that I'm reading this during the Christmas season. It speaks to humility. It speaks to his heart on how he wants to see people live. And this is the part of Third City where solution comes in. Like if you say, how then should we live? It's like Paul is answering the question. He said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. It's like he's pleading with this church, going, would you please, if you've had any joy in having your life united with Christ, would you please live this way? So let your, let your ears perk. You're going to hear some common words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Can you hear pride in, the, in that sentence? Selfish ambition, vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The posture of Creator God coming to earth, and the posture, we hear these words like servant, made himself nothing, humbled himself, obedience, like, the, these aren't the types of things that, that we would assume would be modeled for us, like, when it comes to simplicity of following Christ, but it's, it's right here. He modeled, God modeled humility. No better model than at Christmas, the God of creation, the God of the universe, choosing to come down into this mess of a world. Like, think about that for a minute. If you read 
the totality of Scripture from Genesis all the way through, you're going to see nothing but mankind rebelling against God, telling God they don't need him, telling God to the point that they don't want him. And God still chose to insert himself into that mess, that existence full of selfish ambition, vain conceit is what our world is full of, and pride and envy. And he said, I'm going there. And when he came in, he, he didn't come in in, a, in the, the most glorious of settings. It was a humble uh, room that had livestock in it. It was to a single mother pledged to be married to another man. Even when he was a young boy, he had to dodge uh, genocide, the authorities and leaders that wanted to kill him as a toddler. And eventually, other leaders would succeed in killing him as an adult man. Over the course of his life, he would be completely misunderstood. But he never got off mission, never got angry. He walked forward with humility. When lepers crossed his path, he didn't avoid them like the rest of society. He didn't scream out unclean. He reached out and touched them. When people that were entrenched in sin and embarrassed because of their life circumstance and everybody else would shame them and ignore them, Jesus engaged with them. He crossed racial boundaries and stepped into the lives of others wholeheartedly, speaking dignity and truth into a Samaritan woman at a well. When there was a woman that, that, that was outcast by her culture, her society, that nobody would give her any attention because of her physical ailment, Jesus stopped the busyness of his life. Why? Because he was humble and he made time for her. People that were crippled couldn't walk, and people would walk by them day after day after day. Jesus made time. He chose humility, Third City. When he was wrongfully accused and put on trial and lied about, he didn't shake his fist and go, you are all wrong. With humility, he kept his mouth closed because he knew what was necessary to take the place of the sin of humanity, your sin, my sin. With humility, he took the beating. He took the lies. When he was literally stripped of his clothing, humbled on a cross, naked. When he was being crucified, he chose a posture of humility knowing that those nails had to go where they needed to go to atone, take the place of my sin and your sin and the sin of the people driving the nails. you imagine the humility of that? I see you driving the nails. These wounds are for you. I can't imagine intellectually what's going through Jesus' mind, this weird piece of you're inflicting this pain, but I love you, and this pain that I'm enduring is for you. The solution is humility. 
So what do we do with this? Because to walk in humility, it's a little bit like, like grabbing a wet lasagna noodle. Like, like what, what is it that you're wanting? What do I do? First piece is this. Acknowledge your pride. Acknowledge your pride. You know, you that has a hard time admitting when you're wrong to the people you love the most, acknowledge your pride and say that you're wrong. Admit it with humility, contriteness, be genuine, and ask God for help. Because pride and envy has been an issue since the Garden of Eden. Third City, you cannot do this on your own. If that were the case, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come and die. He wouldn't have needed, we would not need to celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, God on earth, God made man, God in flesh. We wouldn't need that if we could do it on our own. Admit your pride, and if you're going, no, I've already taken care of that, you might need it more than the rest of us. And to ask God for help. When we step into this moment of communion, this is where I love every week, my goodness, if the message does not point us to the grace of God, somehow we have missed. And that's what I love about the worshipful moment of communion. We have the body of Christ broken on the cross, Jesus' blood shed to cover our sin. And if you're one of the people in this room that you've been invited by a friend, they were courageous enough to say, hey, I found hope at this place. I want you to come check it out. Maybe your steps towards Jesus is acknowledging that I need help, that I need help part. Communion is about that help. It's remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us, for your sin, for my sin. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for years and you come to this table every week and you just need to be reminded of the price of your salvation and you get to hold it humbly, worshipfully, as we take it together. Father God, I pray over this room. Lord, there's no way that we could find ourselves to be perfectly like you. You ask us to follow. You ask us to be obedient and you ask for humble obedience. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling humble obedience on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us to even stumble towards you graciously, humbly, in obedience. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So that posture of lifting your hands up and laying your whole life down is a posture of humility. 
It's acknowledging that the, the gifts, the talents, everything that I have, I'm just laying it down. And it's for you, God. That is a deeply theological thing to wrestle with. Some of you may need to wrestle with that question for the first time in surrendering your life to God. You know, I thought about one of the best ways that I might be able to usher in a posture of humility in my life would be to start out my day with a list of the reasons why I'm in need of forgiveness and I'm in need of grace. And what that would do is that would, that would create a softness to my heart for others. You'd find me a little more patient with that person, a little more quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I hope that the, what you are leaving left over in your interactions and relationships are worthy of the king that we worship. Choose a posture of humility. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.